Green Team Academy podcast, episode 34. Norm Engineering is not my coworker. If you're ready to become an eco leader in your community, then you're in the right place. I'm Joan Gregerson, and I work to help teams make a big impact fast. Don't forget to head over to greenteamacademy.com to get your very own Green Team Essentials. I put these together for you because this is exactly what I wished I had had when I was starting out. Join our fabulous community, download the free guide to 12 common but easily avoidable mistakes, and hop into our podcast discussion group. I can't wait to meet you there. And now, let's get started. Hey, Green Team, what's up? Nice to hang out with you again today. Have you ever watched people repeatedly do something that you find to be perfectly crazy, but because it's what everybody does, it is deemed to be normal? And what if you could switch their perception of what is normal and what's crazy? Well, this is the root of solving our environmental challenges. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about how we can use norm engineering to get quicker results. I heard a radio interview a couple months back, and unfortunately, I cannot find it now when I'm trying to search for it and let you know who exactly it was. But it was someone talking about norm engineering. And the thing was, when I first heard that, I just started laughing because all the times when I was working as an engineer, I've worked with at least three guys named Norm. And engineers, if nothing else, as a stereotype, I would say strive to be normal. But in this episode, I'm going to tell you that Norm Engineering is not my coworker. And once I got this concept, though, of norm engineering, it's really helped me understand our challenges when it comes to creating societal change. And we can learn from other changes that have come before us. So let me tell you a little story. I don't know at what age you started drinking, but I started drinking socially at about age 15. I started driving at age 16, And you put those two together. So I started driving drunk at age 16. So did all my friends. And it's just what we all did. Yes, we knew that people died from drunk driving. And that was extremely sad. But I never considered that it was something that needed changing or even could be changed. It was just part of society as a whole, of drinking as a whole. And if one of my friends was drinking and I asked if I could drive them home and they said no, then I didn't push it because, hey, it's my friend. The next day, I'm probably going to be bragging about how drunk I was and how great it was that I made it home. I'm not proud of that. I'm just telling you that was the way we rolled. When I was doing research for this episode, I found out that the concept of a designated driver wasn't introduced formally in the U.S. until 1988 by the Harvard Alcohol Project. It was picked up by Mothers Against Drunk Driving and the Department of Transportation 
And the, the campaign included commercials with this message, friends don't let friends drive drunk. TV shows like Cheers, The Cosby Show, Friends, they began weaving in mentions of the designated driver as another way to, to spread that message into society. President Clinton was also involved in this and annually taped commercials for the campaign. And now, in my personal experience, I don't hear people brag about driving drunk anymore. That's not scientific research, I know, but I do think that it has changed. And so how has it changed? Why was it that initially, when I was a kid, that driving drunk was normal, but now driving drunk is seen to be kind of crazy? And the same, having a designated driver is now normal, and not having one is crazy. That's norm engineering. So how did it happen? How did that completely flip on its head? The ad campaign started the movement by redefining what a good friend is. But my research into the reasons people don't drive drunk revealed something else. And you know what my research is? Is driving as an Uber driver. I have had so many people in my car who tell me where they're going and why they are going by Uber is specifically because they plan on drinking. And the next comment clarifies their intention. Not once have I heard anyone say, oh, and I don't want to kill someone because of having been drinking and then driving. No, it's always the fines and the hassle of getting caught driving drunk are so high, it's just not worth it anymore. In Colorado, I hear numbers like $10,000 to $20,000 in fines and the associated costs of getting around without a car as you're going to all these mandatory classes and court appearances. And I've heard those stories also as an Uber driver as I'm driving those folks around. That societal change of making drunk driving no longer appealing came about by two things. One, by changing the perception of what it means to be a good friend. And secondly, by finding the heck out of that. So you're penalizing people that choose to do that behavior that is worse. Why am I telling you this? This is to give you hope when you see that there are these behaviors, these beliefs that have seeped into societies. And then you can see that in not too many years along, those can actually be completely reversed. That, it, that gives us hope. And it also gives us a framework to use. So when you're looking around at environmental things, you're also going to see things that seem crazy. For example, you can probably see that drilling fossil fuels that came from dinosaurs, drilling and pulling that up and heating it and processing it and molding it into plastic bottles, then filling those bottles with drinking water, shipping those 
and putting them somewhere where someone can purchase that plastic bottle and sometimes within a few minutes empty the contents of the bottle, then throw the bottle in the trash where it's not going to decompose in our lifetimes. You can see and I can see that that is completely insane. And yet that is normal. That is the norm in the times in which we're living. So how do we get people to flip to not wanting to manufacture, purchase, or dispose of those bottles. This is where we can put that norm engineering to work. So we've got two tasks. One is we somehow need to awaken the consumer and get them to consider that not buying that bottle, avoiding that purchase is better. That somehow it's going to be better for them, easier for them to, to not buy that bottle. Probably more importantly, and maybe the way you accomplish that first thing, is that the societal cost of plastic needs to be brought into the equation. I often wonder, what is the cost of babysitting a piece of plastic for a few hundred years? Like, what you know, what is going to happen to that if it goes into the ocean? You know, there's, it's got to be at least five times, maybe 10 times the price of the, the bottle as it is right now. I don't know. I'm making that number up. But if it was, you could see that if people had that awakening to think that, you know, actually there is kind of a problem with this bottle, just like that is kind of a problem to let friends drive drunk, but then to have it underscored, to be, have it, to have it driven home with, uh, a penalty, a fine, a fee that reinforces, no, this really is a ridiculous choice. You can do it, but you're going to feel ridiculous doing it. That's what norm engineering is. The other example is the neighborhood where I grew up, where my mom lived for 50 some years in Congress Park in Denver, Colorado. And Denver is kind of a mountain desert and so very little water. And there's always big concerns about where are we going to get enough water? And we have huge amount of growth happening in, in Denver and in Colorado right now. And so it's really unclear where our water is going to come from. And yet most of the people that are in those homes that had these big, huge lawns that came in, like this is people that moved from the Northeast where they're, where lawns just grew without any maintenance. Those same, same people moved out to Colorado and put in the same kind of lawns, even though they make no sense in our climate. But those decisions have held on for 100 years, people still have those kind of lawns out front. So how can you encourage people to make the change over to a more water conserving landscape? Well, one way is to figure out what are some of their values. If you've changed your landscape over and you're now seeing more butterflies and birds in your yard, you can talk about that. 
And if that doesn't work, then maybe increase property value because you're lower water costs. Or maybe it's beautification of the neighborhood because you've got all these beautiful plants that are blooming all throughout the year. Or maybe it's that you have this really beautiful, sophisticated landscape now that would appeal to someone with more of a design eye. So that's the first thing is figuring out the messaging that meshes with that person's values so that you can shift their perception. And the second part of it is that the financial part of it that drives that message home. So advocating for water rates that reward efficient landscapes and penalize wasteful ones. Putting those two together is a way that you could make that equation change very quickly. And there are definitely areas in California that have experienced this when the drought came and suddenly they realized, okay, now it's time to get serious. And they changed their water rate structures And suddenly it seems so much more wasteful when water was so scarce to be dumping all that water into your lawn. It made that change that number one, it didn't seem like you were a good neighbor anymore if you did it. And number two, you were penalized if you continued without making the change. Okay, well, I had fun introducing you to norm engineering, and I hope that that is helpful. I really appreciate you tuning in today. And if you have any examples, any ideas you want to share on this topic, then join us in the podcast discussion group. You, my friend, are doing such important work. Caring about the planet and trying to figure out how to make an impact fast. You're exactly the kind of person that our world needs more of. To make sure that you're not wasting your precious time or energy, make sure you head over to greenteamacademy.com, check out the expert trainings that are available, and get your Green Team Essentials so you'll get the support you need. Thank you for everything you're doing, and I'll see you right back here next time on the Green Team Academy podcast. Mm